I'm Julianne DeLynn Hatton, and you're listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. This series will discuss the Prophet Joseph Smith and the authenticity of the gospel he restored. I'll be speaking with Michael R. Ash, author of the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Welcome, Michael Ash. Hi, Julianne. We're speaking about deification from your book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Yes, it's uh, one of the doctrines that sets us apart from most other uh, Christians. This is a fascinating section in your chapter on doctrines and one of the most common images in Western and Eastern religions. Yeah, it, it really is. It, uh, it goes back a long ways and it has ties to um, you know, early Christianity uh, from the beginning and, and even uh, earlier than that. Let's talk about God as a parent. Yeah, it's uh, especially for the Judaic Christian tradition, we see God as a father. I mean, that's how he's depicted in stories, that's how he's depicted in, in artwork, even in cartoons and, and in movies. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that for the most part, people are theologically naive about their own beliefs, at least official beliefs, I should say. Okay, so there are beliefs that people have that are personal to them, and there are official beliefs that the church that they belong to might have. And I think that Mormons include in this, most people don't know, you know, maybe all kind of the fine details of what the official stand is on the church. Most uh, Christians that believe in the Trinity couldn't really describe it, give you the details of it. And from what I've heard, uh, even studies indicate that Christians in general view uh, God as a, a, a loving father, a father figure. And, and, and almost uh, um, they see him as a person. So when you envision somebody, uh, they don't envision this, this spirit mass that's out there that has some sort of power that we don't understand. They envision almost like something you would see, again, in the movies or, or drawings, that there is this father figure with a white beard and, and you know, a uh, white robe and that he oversees things and loves us. And fortunately, we have in the Latter-day Saint faith an official theology that ties to that, backs it up, and and uh, paints a um, a picture that gives us reasons to understand that that picture of a loving father is actually accurate. And you have a lot of evidence from the Bible talking about deification. Let's talk about some of that. Yeah, we find so many things in the New Testament um, where the apostles and even Jesus uh, talked about God in terms that uh, would designate him being like us. And of course, deification means that uh, we believe as Latter-day Saints that since he's our father, we can become like him. So uh, this is what we find in the scriptures. You know, Jesus, uh, and he talks in Matthew, it was recorded, he says, the, talking to the saints, he says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, you know, we might tend to just focus on the part of, hey, we need to really try hard and be perfect, but Christ says that we need to be perfect even as the Father in heaven is perfect. And we think about that on just a logical level. If we are anything less than Father, we're less perfect. 
So Christ is saying that eventually we need to become like him, equally perfect. So that, that's just one example. Let's talk about Revelation. Yeah, in the book of Revelation, um, the, the Lord said that to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So he's saying that he's going to share what he is getting. So, so he, he is God, and he is uh, receiving this glory from coming to earth as a manifestation of the, of the Godhead, and that uh, we are going to share with it as well for those that overcome, going to share it into the throne. And, and, and there's more that talks about this later on or in different parts of the New Testament about this sharing in uh, this, this blessing of having what Christ has. Which leads us to Romans. Yes, in Romans, um, we read, and this is Paul, that he's, you know, of course he believes that uh, we're you know, literal children of God, and he says, and if children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So, you know, an heir, when that, that's somebody that inherits something. So if, if you have uh, parents that own property or money or whatever, if you are an heir, then that stuff is given to you. Okay, well, it, it's not money or anything. It, it's what did Christ get? You know, he is a God. And so we are inheriting the same thing, uh, as Paul says here, that we're joint heirs with Christ. We are receiving the same thing that Christ is with, which is deification. And Paul says that if it so be we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. What did the ancient fathers in the primitive church say about becoming like God? Well, they understood this, uh, um, and maybe not to the fullest degree that we do in, in, in modern times, but they understood kind of where this trajectory was going. And we read this by several of the early Christian writers, some of them that were very close in time to the apostles. For instance, one early Christian, uh, a popular writer, wrote that I may become God to the same extent as he became man. And of course, what he's talking about there is God, being Jesus, came down to assume a body and become man. So he's saying, likewise, we are man, and when we die, we can assume um, the basically a joint heir and become glorified, become God. Uh, the early Christian Irenaeus, he wrote that Jesus Christ became what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. So there's that joint error, that uh, process of, of receiving the same Christ, uh, the glorification that Christ has. We can receive what he has, that same deification. Uh, Clement of Alexander wrote that Jesus became man so that we might learn how to become a god. So, so this is a common theme, and, and it was even talked about by some of the people that promoted the Trinity. And of course, the Trinity is a belief that's, a, that's different than how Latter-day Saints view it. We, we, we see as three distinct individuals in the Godhead with, with a unified purpose, whereas the Trinity is basically one um, incomprehensible form of God with three manifestations. Uh, and, and it's been likened sometimes to uh, a three-leaf clover. So it's a single clover, but you've got the three leaves, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So, so it's a little bit different view on how that God is, but nevertheless, they see it still as one God, and they still talk about how that we can become part of this. Uh, one uh, early bishop 
um, wrote that the righteous will become a companion of the deity and a co-heir with Christ. So there's that understanding again of, of Paul's words, no longer enslaved with lusts or passions, he wrote, never again wasted by disease, for thou hast become God. And, and he even goes on to say, whatever it is consistent with God to impart, these God has promised to bestow upon thee, because thou hast been deified and begotten unto immortality. And this is honestly one of the most fascinating chapters in your book of Faith and Reason. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's so much work out there uh, on this topic. Uh, you know, master's thesis have been written about it. Uh, books have been written about it. And, and of course, a lot of this is on a scholarly level where Latter-day Saints haven't always uh, um, been aware of some of this information. And very well footnoted about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. As is the rest of your book. Why do you think these teachings disappeared from the early church? Um, you know, I think that what happened, seems to have happened in time, is that uh, th there were groups of people in, in you know, the, even the second or third centuries, and a lot of these had to do with the Gnostics, that believed that matter was evil and that uh, God was wholly other, and, and th there was a, a, a push to kind of distance God from us, because um, we are these low-life scum mortals. Uh, God can't be anything like us. He's too great. And so we had to distance ourselves, and this is kind of how it was viewed among some of the people. And so by distancing, uh, putting this gap between us, uh, it was too big of a gap for us to ever cross. We could never become like him. Um, and, and sometimes, like I said, the official theology went in a direction that uh, it was all mysteries and incomprehensible, and we really don't know why, you know, God th does this for us, uh, why he has humans is somehow for his, his, you know, some people even speculated amusement or, or pleasure or maybe his glorification, you know, really didn't know. None of those things are really satisfying, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. From a natural point of view, like I said, for the for the regular Christian that doesn't understand some of these deeper theologies, you know, they have, I think, a very close view to Latter-day Saints. God does these things for us because He loves us, and if we if we look at Him as a father figure, that makes sense because people that have a relationship, a close relationship with their father or mother. Um, or even siblings, understand that love, that bond, you know, between family members. And, and that's really the heart of, of the entire thing, is that we are part of God's family. And he has reached a level of purity and perfection that brings him complete happiness and intelligence, and he wants us to have it as well. And, and as parent, yourself, myself, you know, we want the same thing for our kids. We, we want them to have everything that's good and, and more. I mean, we, we love to see them, you know, progress and, and, and gain all the blessings, the good things in life uh, that, that make their lives truly happy. And, and that's how a loving father and a mother, for that matter, would do it. And, and so that's why, to me, that this doctrine is so satisfying. And it, it's we find pieces of it throughout the Bible, throughout the writings of early Christianity, and it just supports that that really is what Christ and the uh, early apostles had taught of this family unit. Thank you, Michael Ash. Thank you, Julianne. Thanks for listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. I'm your host, Julianne Delin Hatton, inviting you to keep the faith. 
Michael Arash is the author of the book Shaken Faith Syndrome, Strengthening One's Testimony in the Face of Criticism and Doubt, as well as the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Faith and Reason is produced by Tom Hatton with music courtesy of Arthur Hatton. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can support this podcast by subscribing to it in iTunes and by rating it and writing a review. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org or you may join the conversation at fairblog.org.